Good morning to each one. Greeting our Savior's precious name this morning. The sermon I want to preach this morning is a outworking of a work that God did in my life some years ago. For many years of my life, probably most years of my life, I was living a selfish life and I didn't even realize it. I look back on some of it and I think, how did I live that way? I'd went to church all my life and read the Bible, studied the Bible, but yet somehow there was a blind spot in my life that I wasn't seeing. That blind spot was selfishness. I was chasing the American dream. And I think there's a lot of people in Christian churches that are have fallen into this same trap of chasing the American dream. The title of the message this morning is The Sin of Selfish Living. Brother Kevin had asked me to preach his sermon at the peak a number of years ago, and I hadn't got around to it before he got moved from the peak, and I decided well, maybe I'll bring it this morning. So, Brother Kevin, I'm getting my homework done. <laughs> question we need to answer right at the start, though, is, is selfish living a sin? We need that question answered because unless that conviction grips our hearts, we will live selfish lives because brothers and sisters, our human nature is selfish. That's who we are as people. So I want to look at four passages at the start that answer this question, is selfish living sin? The first one is Galatians 5. If you want to turn there, you can. Some of these I'll mention and uh, move right through them. I want you to notice this one in particular because of verse 21 and what it says. These four passages that I'll be reading, I want to read from the New King James Version. Galatians 5, the last part of verse 21 says this, those who practice such things, what it mentions ahead of this verse, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's serious. We need to look at the list that's giving, given, and if these are a part of our lives, we need to repent. So I want to start reading verse 19. These are works of the flesh. Paul is talking about works of the spirit and works of the flesh. These are works of the flesh. And he says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. And then here's the one we're looking at this morning, selfish ambitions. If my goals in life are selfish, it's a work of the flesh. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if my goals in life are selfish, I won't make it to glory. And that's a serious thing. The next passage in James 5, verse 5. Now in James 5, James has some very sharp, biting words for those who are rich in this world. He, he gives some very serious condemnations. But then he says this in verse 5. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Now there's another version that instead of saying pleasure and luxury, it says luxury 
and self-indulgence. Again, selfishness. Living to please myself. And he has condemning words for that lifestyle. The third passage is in Romans chapter 2. And I want to start reading at verse 5. Again, we're answering the question, is selfish living a sin? Listen to what this passage says. Romans 2, starting in verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. In other words, God will bring judgment based on how I've lived my life. That's what that verse is saying. Verse 7, eternal life. He'll give eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. So he's saying if you're living for yourself and you're not glorifying God with your life, he'll bring judgment on you for eternity. Then the last one is in 1 Corinthians 13, and we know this is the love chapter. And I want to remind you of, of something that happened on Jesus' ministry. A man came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, he asked him the question, what do you read in the law? And he said, the greatest commandment is to love God, and the next is likened to that I love my fellow man. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. So if we go to the love chapter, which describes love, how does it describe love? I want to start at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Two places in this passage, it, it talks about how love is not selfish. It doesn't show itself in how I live my life in a selfish way. I don't parade myself. My, I'm not trying to put myself up so others will notice. And then in verse 5, it says it does not seek its own. Selfishness is always condemned in Scripture. And maybe that's why Jesus in Luke 9 gave these words that tell us that we cannot live for ourselves. We have to deny ourselves and live for Him. Let me read these verses in Luke 9, starting in verse 23. Then He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? I repeat, as human people, we are selfish. Jesus knew that. And he told us, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to be his disciples, self has to die. We have to deny ourselves because if we don't, self's on the throne instead of Christ. And Jesus is saying, I want to be on the, on the throne of your heart. So we have to deny ourselves, take up His cross daily, and follow Him. 
And it's something we all struggle with. Because again, we're selfish people by nature. And Jesus is saying, if we want to be His disciple, we need to die to self. So how does selfishness look in our lives today? I want to look at two Bible stories that Jesus gave. The first is in Luke 10, and I invite you to turn there. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, I want to start reading at verse 25. And this first part of this reading I referenced earlier where the lawyer came to Jesus and asked Him what He had to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus pointed Him to the command of love and then He wanted a, an explanation. What is this? How does it look? Let's start reading verse 25, Luke chapter 10. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he had departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Now, I have a question for you as a congregation. I wish someone or several of you would answer. What was the sin of the priest and the Levite? I want you to think about that. What was their, what was their sin? Not having, Not having compassion. Exactly. Maybe another way would say it is they were, he was indifferent. Or he was too busy. And I ask you, do you find yourself in that place? Because I do. There was a seminary that gave three of the students the job of preaching a sermon on the, on the Good Samaritan. And of course, they had already taught them, you know, how to deliver a sermon. You do this and you do this. And so they were going to give this sermon and their student, fellow students were going to critique them. They gave them the sermons to preach. Each of them had a different day to give a sermon. So it wasn't all the same day. And the seminary had lined it up that as each of these men were coming from where they lived 
to the place where they were giving the sermon, they would come upon a person in distress. All three of them had that experience. And all three of them failed. Because they had a sermon they had to preach. So they had to be there to preach that sermon. And I heard that story and it brought something to my memory. Some years ago, uh, Phyllis and I were going up 81. We had a funeral we had to go to that I was preaching at. And as we headed up 81, there was a car broke down along the side of the road and the driver was in distress. And of course, I kept driving and I noticed out of the corner of my eye, Phyllis looks over at me and after a while she said, you're not going to stop and help? And my response was, if I do, I'll be late. Isn't that the way we live our lives? Seriously, brothers and sisters. We have so many goals. Again, it comes back to this reference in Galatians where our selfish ambitions keep us from what God wants us to be. But we have so many goals, so many things we want to do, and we fail to see the needs around us and what God wants us to do with those needs because I'm too busy. Now let's go to Luke chapter 16. Second story Jesus gave. The rich man and Lazarus. Luke 16, starting at verse 19. The first story was a parable. I don't think this is a parable, but I could be wrong. But I think this was something Jesus was relating that actually happened. Luke 16, verse 19, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. Now again, I want your uh, response. What was the rich man's sin? He obviously was guilty of sin. He found himself in hell. What was his sin? Okay, he wasn't true to himself. 
He was selfish. And how did that play out? <laughs> what I mean is, in what he did. <laughs> that was a perfect answer, Joe, but it wasn't what I was looking for. How did it play out in his life? In what he did? You're correct. He was selfish. That's, that's correct. That's the sin. But how did it play out in his life? Okay. I had trouble figuring out where it was coming from for a while, Franklin. Sorry. You're, you're 100% correct. Look at verse 19. He was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He was living in luxury. And you notice in verse 25, Abraham's response was, Son, remember, there was a time you lived in luxury and Lazarus was in misery and you wouldn't look out for Lazarus. It's imperative we understand what happened in this story. There's some verses in 1 John 3, verse 16 to 18 that are sobering to me. I love the book of 1 John because John is so clear and so exact in his writing so that we can understand what he wants. And he says this in verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is how we understand the love of God. Because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. And he's saying, you understand love. God showed it to you. He sent his very best so that we could be saved. And you understand love because of that. That's how we understand love. But then he goes on to say this. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He's telling us if we see needs around us, I think it's within our neighborhoods or within our world, if we see needs, we have the ability to do something about that need. And we continue in verse 19, as this rich man did, to live sumptuously, live luxuriously. Just live selfishly and aren't willing to meet those needs. John asks the question, he says, does God's love really dwell in you? Is it possible that God's love is in you if you're not willing to do the same thing he did for you? God was willing to give his best for you. He was willing to give sacrificially for you and for me. I don't, I don't mean to just say you, for me. He was willing to do it for me. Now, when I see needs around me and I shut up my bowels compassion and I say, but, but you know, I got to buy this nice car or, or this other farm or whatever, and I don't have money to give. He's saying, is God's love really within us? Here's what happens as we acquire more money. When I, real, when I read this and realized it, it really was, sh uh, was shocking to me. In 1940, America was coming out of the Great Depression. In 1940, the average size house in America was 750 square feet. I venture to say none of us today live in a house that size, even if you have an apartment. Most apartments are bigger than that, 750 square feet. And the average family size was 3.76. In 1970, the houses had grown to 1,100 square feet. And it was interesting, the other winter we drove through a development in Bridgewater because they were working on a road that they, they detoured us. 
It's a development right there across from where Randall has his business. That development was built in the 70s, and almost every house in there, unless they build an additional one to it, it's about 1,100, 1,200 square feet. That's the size of the houses. The average size house today is 2,438 square feet. And it's not that the families have doubled and tripled. They've actually dropped to 3.14. When I read that, I got to thinking, I live in a 2,500 square foot house. And I thought, well, but I had five children at home, so I did the math. In 1940s, I could have had a 1,300 square foot house. Do you see what's happened to us? As Americans, we watch society change and we're changing with it. And it was convicting to me. I'm challenged by the life of John Wesley. I didn't know much about him, but I've heard and read some about him. And I want to read it. I want to tell you a story that he recorded in his journal. He was a man who was very busy. He was making in our wages today about 160000 a year. But he chose to live on 20000 and he gave the rest away. There was a lot of needs in London at the time that he lived. He gave a lot of money away to the poor, the downtrodden, those in prison, those who were needing money. He recorded this story in his journal. One day a lady came into his office to do some business, and he noticed her coat was threadbare. It was a really cold winter day, and it, her coat was just wore out. It, just, it was no way it was going to keep her warm. So he reached into his wallet to give her money for a new coat. And he had just got done buying curtains for his office. And he was spitting because he said those curtains are the blood of this poor lady that he couldn't help. And I read that story and I thought, man, that's not how I've lived my life. That's not even close to how I've lived my life. But yet when I think about the life of Christ, that's exactly what Christ did. Christ left the glories of heaven for me and for you. The verse that came to my mind was 2 Corinthians 8 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus left the glories and the wealth and the splendor of heaven to come to this cursed earth to live in poverty for you and I. Am I willing to do that for others? In the context of this verse that I just read was Paul admonishing the Corinthian people to give. And he used the example of the Macedonian church and he said they've given far above what they're able to afford to meet needs. And he used the example of Jesus Christ. And again, it convicts me. It, it, it challenged me. How am I living my life? I don't know how many of you get CAMS newsletters, but they, they send these newsletters out quarterly. But over the, the COVID pandemic, they were sending them out monthly because in our world, people were in dire straits. When, when you are poor and you're working most of your hours of a day to, to be able to buy food, and then the economy crashed in your country, things are dire. They're, they're terrible for people. And it was terrible for people in our world. Not only was it terrible because of not being able to buy food, but these people were going into wintertime and they didn't have money for coal, for uh, heating oil, whatever they heated with, wood, and they didn't have uh, blankets and coats. So they're not only going to be hungry, they're cold. 
And I, I read some of those stories and it just, it, it, it shook me because I thought, what if that were me? What, were, what if that were you? These needs are ongoing in our world. Are we willing to give? Or are we going to buy the next thing we think we need? And, you know, it just goes on and on. And I'm talking to myself. I'm not just preaching this to you. I'm talking to myself. There was a bad storm one night, and it, it, it was a bad storm at sea, and it washed a bunch of starfish up on the shore. And those starfish were going to die when the sun came up hot. And that morning, the next morning, there was a, a young boy walking along the shore, and he was picking up starfish and throwing them back in the surf. But it washed up thousands of them. There was an old man there, and he said, Sonny, you can't save them all. And he reached down, he picked another and threw it out, and he said, yeah, but I made a difference in that one's life. And I think about that as it relates to the needs of our world. It's so easy for me to think, yeah, but the little bit I do won't help that much, but it'll make a difference in that one's life and the next one. It may make a difference in thousands of them life because it doesn't take much money to change a person's need when they're in dire straits. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. The question for myself and the question for each of us, will we live frugally and simply so that I'll have money to give to others to meet needs as those needs arise? As I've studied Scripture, it's, a, it's clear to me that that is God's will for our lives. God sees the whole picture. What's happening in America is not reality for most of the world. We live in a blessed country and there's so many examples that could be given. It's not because we are so smart, it's because we've had opportunity. But there's so many in our world that don't have opportunity. It's not because of their uh, irresponsibility many times. It's, it's where they're placed in life. And God sees the whole picture. And I wonder sometimes as those people cry out to Him in prayer for God to answer their prayer, if God's not saying, but I have a person in America that I want to help. I want them to help you instead of me. I don't know. I wonder if that's a possibility. Matthew 25. Jesus teaching about the end time. And there's three stories he gives in this chapter. And I think they're all a continuation leading to what he's teaching. That we live our lives for him completely, every aspect of our life, so that we're ready when He comes again. The first uh, story is the parable of the ten virgins. And you know the story. Five were wise, they had oil in their lamps. Five were foolish, they weren't ready. The point of that, of that parable is Jesus is coming again, be ready. That's the point. The next parable He leads right into in verse 14 is the parable of the talents. And you know that's that story as well. He gave one five talents, gave another three, another two, and another one. The, the two were faithful. They had took the talents that God gave them. They used them for His glory and they had something to give back to God. The one buried his talent. And again, the point is, we have to be stewards of what God's given us. He's given us all uh, things. Abilities, money, whatever. He's given us things. We have to be faithful. That's the point of that story. 
And then he gives a third story, and I want to read it, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them in his right hand, on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. And again, this is the third story in this chapter as Jesus teaches on the, the end time and the coming of the Lord again. And He gives this very serious story, this very serious parable. It's striking to me as I look at this parable. Jesus doesn't say anything about being born again. He doesn't say anything about His shed blood for us. He doesn't say anything about our doctrinal positions or about what we wear or any of those things. All those are important. Scripture's clear about it. They're all important. Jesus is getting to the very heart of the matter. He's saying when you're born again, when your heart is changed, when you're no longer selfish, can we say it that way? It changes how we live. Do we understand what Jesus is saying? And these examples He gives are the only examples He gives as to whether we'll be in heaven or we'll be in hell. And that is sobering to me. Has Jesus' love really changed my heart? That's the question. You notice, the sheep were doing these things not even thinking about it because their heart was changed in such a way they saw the needs around them and they said, we've got to do something. We just have to. 
They didn't know they were doing it for Christ. And you look at the goats and they're shocked. They had no idea they hadn't done these for Jesus. Why? Because they were right back there in Luke 16. They were living in luxury and pleasure instead of seeing the needs around them and where God wanted them to be. And it's sobering to me. I have to ask myself and I have to ask you the question, how am I living my life? How are you living your life? Has the blood of Christ and the love that God showed us through sending His Son, has it really made a difference in my life or not? Or am I living for self? In closing, I'm going to tell a story to challenge us to live unselfishly. Seems like war brings out the best and the worst in people. If there's a war going on, the atrocities that go on are just absolutely horrible. Sometimes it's unimaginable that people can be so horrible. But even in that darkness, at times there's, there's light that just impresses us at how humans can be. And this story is one, is one of greatness of how someone did. And my understanding is it's a true story. In World War II, the Germans had a rule at their prisoner of war camps that if a prisoner escaped, 10 prisoners would pay with their life. 10 other prisoners would pay with their life. And it was a way of intimidating people so they didn't try to escape. But what they would do was they would, by lottery, choose 10 people. They would put them in a starvation cell, and in that cell they'd receive no water and no food until they all died, and they died a horrible death. Well, one morning at roll call, there was somebody missing. They did a thorough search, and they realized this person had escaped. And so the horrible lottery started, and they chose 10 men who were going to die this horrible death. Well, one of the men chosen had a wife and small, several small children at home, and one of his other uh, prisoners knew this. This other man couldn't stand the thought of what was going to happen to this family when this man died. And so he stepped forward and volunteered to take his place. And they granted his request. Ten men went into the starvation chamber. But something happened that morning. Generally, those ten men went in cursing and swearing and saying all kinds of horrible things. These men went in singing. And they sang much of the time in that chamber till they died. God's not asking us to give our lives for somebody else that's starving. But He is asking us to live so unselfishly so that we can meet the needs of those around us. And I ask, is that how we'll live? Shall we have a song?